Welcome to Mind Love, episode 10. Today's episode is all about finding your voice. Working with the voice, it's not just singing, it's also how we speak or when we choose not to speak or the voices in our heads and how they talk to each other. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi friends, today's episode is about finding your voice. Learning to work with your voice goes way beyond singing or even speaking professionally. Our voices are our number one way of expressing ourselves. The way we carry our voices translates through how we carry ourselves, even in just casual conversation. Today we'll be talking to Helene Anderson, author and creator of You Are Meant to Sing, Six Steps to Unlock Your Inner Voice, which is more than just a book, it's a transformational program. She's highly experienced in classical music, holding positions at the Los Angeles Philharmonic and St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. She's a trained sound healer, and she's now focused on creating workshops that facilitate deep healing and letting go through the voice. Because our voices are our primary method of self-expression, learning to use this tool can boost your confidence and even boost people's perceptions of you, even if you have no plans of using your voice professionally. So today, three key things you will learn are how to find your inner confidence with your voice, how to relieve tension and find moments of mindfulness using your voice, and a simple vocal technique you can try at home to help develop your voice for both singing and speaking. So let's get started. Welcome to the Mind Love Show, Helene. First off, congratulations on your book. And I want to start with a little bit about your background and inspiration for the book. Your book titled, You Are Meant to Sing, Six Steps to Unlock Your Inner Voice, is based off of your personal journey with your voice. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I pretty much sang from the moment that I could. And uh, the stories from my family were mostly, I think, them telling me to be quiet rather than encouraging me to sing more because I think I would go up to strangers and sing to them often when I was younger. And voices develop at different stages for different people. And my mother was very critical and had convinced me that I had a child's voice and wouldn't develop as a singer. So I had carried around this sort of belief in my system, even though I kept singing and I sang in church choirs and I sang in performances and I did that. There was always this, t this part of me that didn't always trust the singing element of my voice. And there was a part of my head that always was feeling like, it wasn't quite good enough, or it wasn't perfect, or I had to practice more, or I had to do this. And so I, I got in sort of a mindset over time where I lost my ability to improvise with my voice. And so unless I saw something that was written on the page or I was mimicking a melody and a song on the radio, I could sing along and I could hear it and, and had a decent ear, even though I don't have perfect pitch. However... I, when it came to trying to harmonize with something or make up a melody, I was completely stifled. I couldn't even, nothing would come out. When did that start to change for you and lead you into the person that you are today? 
When I went to the Globe Institute, which is a sound healing training center in San Francisco, I went for a sound healing trainer in the summer of 2014, so now about three and a half years ago, and something happened during that training that really unlocked something in my voice, literally. And all of a sudden, my ability to improvise just happened. It was, a, it was almost like a flip switch. And it was an ability that I think was always there. I just didn't know how to access it. But it had a lot to do with uh, the personal work that I was doing and, and just the healing in general of being really authentic with everything in my voice. Because I, the way that I see working with the voice, it's not just singing. It's also how we speak or when we choose not to speak or the voices in our heads and how they talk to each other and really reconciling all of these various ways that our voice comes into play with daily life. And so now I feel like, it, I mean, the voice, my voice, other people's voices, I feel like is really kind of my mission in this life is to work with the voice on all those levels. Moms can be brutal sometimes, man. I have a really similar story, actually. So when I was younger, I already have a raspy voice, as you can tell. But when I was younger, my voice was so raspy that sometimes it would hurt to speak. And I remember kids asking me what was wrong with me and honestly not knowing myself. But regardless, I loved to sing. So I would sing all the time in my little raspy voice, whether it was Disney songs or any song from one of the three cassette tapes that I owned. And I remember one time in particular, in the car on a long drive with my mom, belting out Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You on repeat at the top of my little raspy lungs for the 17th time in a row. And I turned to my mom and asked her, Mom, do I have a good voice? <laughs> and my mom was like, it needs a little work, honey. And we laugh about this now because my mom is the greatest, most supportive mother. But, you know, people can just get overwhelmed sometimes. So <laughs> I don't necessarily fault her, but it did unfortunately stick with me for years. And I'm still learning. My whole life, I had a big problem just losing my voice every time I would do anything social and through training and actually a lot of YouTube videos on voice technique, I've figured out a different way of speaking. And now I love my voice. I think it's unique. And I actually get a lot of comments on it regarding this podcast. So what starts as a flaw ends up being a unique characteristic, I suppose. For sure. I mean, that's just part of the process. Because I, I mean, I think that in general, I, I think people are becoming more aware now. However, I do think that there wasn't necessarily an awareness that when you say something like that to a child, that it's sticky, like it doesn't necessarily go away unless it's something that's addressed. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. 
Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do, and there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. Exactly. And as you said earlier, Voices develop at different times, and it seems like a lot of people are deciding whether or not they're a good or bad singer when they're young, which is unfortunate. My husband Shane, for example, has talked about how he can't carry a tune or doesn't have a good voice, and I just keep telling him, I'm a living example that you can learn to control your voice. It's a muscle, just like anything else. You have to work at it. I really feel like in terms of misconceptions with the voice is the idea that you have to have a great voice in order to sing. And I think that that's very pervasive in the culture that we live in, in Western culture. However, if you look at indigenous cultures, everybody sings and it has nothing to do with how good or beautiful or uh, resonant somebody's voice is. Maybe for them to be a professional singer, that would, for sure, the quality of the instrument would determine whether or not someone could be a professional singer or do that as their main source of income. However, in terms of day-to-day singing and being, like I said, having a raspy voice, having whatever voice, the, the idea of our voices are meant to be used that way. They're meant to be a, an extension of who we are. So it feels very much like Anybody should be able to sing. And what does that mean? It could mean many, many different things. It doesn't mean that they're going to get up on a stage and sing with a microphone. That's a really great point. And one interesting thing that got me out of my shell a little bit was the realization that there are people with raspier voices than me that actually are making a living with their voice or singing professionally. Think of people like Macy Gray or Stevie Nicks. Their voices are naturally raspy and it just gives it character. Well, yes, and and really it's it's your voice is your as I said and I say in my book is that it's your main means of expression. Period. So when you're singing, you can you can convey just as much emotion if your voice is raspy than if your voice is more operatic or if if it is more Disney sounding. And some people, I know my voice can shift into different spaces and not everybody's voice can do that, but that's okay. It's really about getting each person to work with their own energy that can be expressed through their voice. And of course, I I use the example in my book, but I think of people like Bob Dylan or someone like him who maybe doesn't have the greatest singing voice. However, 
his voice conveys a lot of emotion and feeling and people love listening to it for that reason. Really, it's about just accessing the truth. And when people are connected with that truth of, of who they are and what they're communicating, then you can be moved by the voice regardless of the quality of the instrument. So looking back, when you were younger, did you have a good voice or was your mom just being overly critical? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. My mother, my mother was a, uh, she was a, not an easy person. I'll say, um, she struggled a lot in this life and she was definitively overcritical. And I think when, when she started making those comments about my voice, it was when I was really young. So I was probably singing and I might've been eight or nine or something and singing through my nose like most eight or nine year olds do. But she just had, didn't realize that if you don't come out with the pretty voices, like you think of the Charlotte churches of the world or that, that your voice doesn't develop. She just didn't have the knowledge. So she was going based on her conception of the prodigy syndrome, which happens in the classical music world a lot. So the answer to your question would be yes, overly critical. And I probably had a better voice than she realized I did. Because in high school, it started developing, but it really started developing in my early 20s. When you were in that sound healing training, what were you doing when you experienced that breakthrough? Was it a moment or more of a process? Uh, it was, no, it actually happened within a class and it was, there were 18 of us that were in the training at that time I was doing it. It was the first two weeks of the sound training and we were doing an exercise where everybody was singing together and something just happened. I don't know if I want to say like an energy, a connection to my higher self, to the divine, like however you want to define it, like something just happened and clicked in in that moment. And my voice just opened. And it was uh, almost as if the best way to describe it, the voice or what was happening with my voice was outside of myself yet it was inside and felt grounded in myself at the same time. And it had never happened to me before on that level. But then it took cultivation to do what I do now because most of the singing I do now in my sound baths and otherwise is improvised. And now I just trust it so implicitly, I know that whatever's gonna come out will come out. But it was a practice to fully trusted after that happened the first time. But it happened pretty fast. Once that moment happened, then it, it started happening very consistently. That story sounds so familiar to a story told by Josh Brill in episode five, where we discussed how to use music to change your brain and states of consciousness, like boosting your moods or giving you more motivation. But same as you, he was in a college course, except he had actually kind of lost his mojo with music. And finally, when he let go and just picked up a guitar for fun, something ended up flowing through him and he was able to release. And he said it felt like a sort of divinity flowing through him. Do you see singing as a therapeutic practice? And if so, when do you use it? Uh, absolutely, yes. The biggest thing for me with singing is actually joy. It's sharing joy with other people. And, uh, and you know, I have, I have a close friend 
who incidentally is the editor of my book. And she really hates opera. She just does not like opera at all. And so every time I see her, I always sing her name in an operatic way, just because it makes her laugh. And it also slightly annoys her at the same time. So I, I use it as a and, 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 you know, again, it's just a funny joke between her and I, but I feel like just in expression, it's a way of really infusing laughter and joy in daily life of just breaking out in song whenever feels appropriate. Side note, it is pretty funny. I put her on the spot and asked her to sing Mind Love in an opera voice and it's gold. I wish it were my ringtone. <laughs> What, just to sing Mind Love? Oh, I don't know. I was sort of putting me on the spot now. I was like, Mind Love. I don't know that. That's amazing. See, told you. There's just something about it. It makes me feel like royalty when people address me that way. In terms of the deeper healing of the voice, I will use it on myself when I'm trying to even heal something that's going on. If I'm not feeling well, if I need the energy space to move, when I'm in the sound baths, the singing is very much an integral part of all of the sound work that I do because it's very much feels like a channel of whatever the energy is in the space. And, and incidentally, I still do some classical singing here and there as well. And I've found that doing all the improvised singing I've done has actually improved my classical singing voice because of the letting go of the technical aspects of singing. Because it's, again, like I said, it's the balance between technique and letting go that actually great music happens. So you have to have both and you have to do the work to get there. However, with the voice, it's really about bringing them together. So I use it in all of those same ways that I describe in my book, also for myself on a daily basis. You know, I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. 
Like this dark cloud is over my day. And I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted. Like this is how it's always been. Those type of days used to last months. And now they're pretty few and far between. And they rarely last more than a few hours. But it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than. But if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. When you're using the voice to heal something or yourself, or you need the energy space to move, as you said, what are your steps to do that? Honestly, um, one of the things I really like to do is uh, scream. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> like screaming, screaming into a towel so you don't scare people, or um, or in your car when the, the windows are up. Like that, the car is a really good place for screaming. Um, if I feel like super frustrated or like the energy needs to move, I find that practice to be super helpful because what it does is it, it, it's like a, an energetic way of just moving energy. And I don't mean screaming and it, it necessarily is something that's like scary, which I mean, that could be a reason that you would want to scream, but it's more like screaming in terms of moving the energy really pointedly out of your body so that you're not because what happens when you do body work and you do sound healing and stuff, a lot of times our emotional traumas, wounds, stress, anxiety, all this, it gets stuck in the body. And so with the voice, when you do something like you scream, it kind of ejects that energy from the system. I mean, the reason that people scream when they're scared or when they're doing stuff, aside from wanting to be heard if something is happening, it's, uh, it's that you're ejecting that emotion of shock from your system so if you can use that energy to to push it out that definitely can move energy really quickly and it sometimes it's hard for people because they don't want to access that energy necessarily and um and one of the other things i do honestly if it's more calming like if i really just want to enter to a really peaceful state i'll actually just hum or i'll sing like super softly like or i'll ohm um, to myself where it just kind of all of a sudden then the whole system starts to calm down. So it's really more like a cat sitting on you or something and purring. And then it's almost like purring for myself that relaxes the nervous system. So those are like the two extremes of things that I would do. Yeah, I live in a really small place. And so I have tried the screaming thing before and, and people are terrified. Um, <laughs> too many neighbors. <laughs> towel is a good idea i've been um instead kind of channeling it through adele because she <laughs> it's a oh, there you go. That it's works. a large vocal range and so i'll just i'll just go to one of the songs it's gonna go so high that i can only do it screaming and <laughs> and you're good right yeah. it does work adele's awesome she use her for sure 
I can imagine that singing opera would be similar. Just accessing that part of your voice. And opera singing really baffles me because it seems like something that you'd have to be born with. But the more I learn about the voice, the more I'm learning that all of these things can be trained. So what is different about singing opera? What part of your voice do you have to access in order to eject notes like that? The best way is to say vocal placement. However, it's, it's an experiential thing and it has to do with how you use your breath. And your facial structure, you actually have 22 bones in your head. And the, the head acts as a resonating chamber automatically. And it's just that most people don't use that. They, they, like when you said that with the raspy, it means that you're putting pressure on the vocal cords in, in the neck, in the vocal cord area. And actually when you use your voice or you're able to throw your voice or you're able to like expand your voice, it means that you're using your breath, your bone structure, everything in its optimum capacity. That's why like studying with a voice teacher or an operatic voice teacher um, can help with that. But really it's about learning to do the diaphragmatic breath because it's really like anything. It's kind of like, it's kind of a workout, right? You watch the opera singers and how do they sing for that long and that high and that long? It's, it's a workout. It's their training the same way a marathon runner would train or anything else because the voice is, is part of the musculature and mechanism of the body and when you learn how to use the the breath control the same way a deep sea diver learns to control their breath and you're able to do that with the singing voice then you're able to access the full volume of your voice and not everyone's volume again is going to be the same everyone's going to be a little bit different but yes people can definitely learn how to sing better for sure and access those other parts of their voice How do you go about creating your own signature singing style? I know, especially with some indie singers, it almost sounds like they have an accent or something, and then you hear them talk and they talk like me. What are the steps to realizing which one is right for you? Because a lot of times it does sound awesome. I think that's really up to the individual. I I would say that the first part about identifying a style is knowing the kinds of music you feel the most drawn to and the artists that you feel the most drawn to. And I think that way you kind of get an idea of where, what vocal structure or style or artist suit the nature of your own voice and sometimes it's a combination of them like in my case I studied classically but I always sang pop music and I also used to sing musical theater stuff and so sometimes when I'm singing it might even be a combination of all of the above when to when you're learning how what it is that you feel like motivates you the most and you just learn which things you're most drawn to the style itself if it's a personal style it's usually something that just kind of comes through the more authentic you are in your expression in your life in your voice in every capacity and i feel like then then it tends to make it very clear what parts of your voice are actually meant to come forth at any given time. That's great advice, and it's relevant for anybody in a creative field. It reminds me of the book Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon, which emphasizes that creativity is everywhere, and you don't need to be a genius, you just need to be yourself. It basically gives direction to 
Start copying the people that you love and eventually you won't feel the need to copy anymore. You'll start making little iterations and little iterations and suddenly your own style has emerged. So it's great to hear that the same technique really does span across the board in terms of being beneficial. So would you say that your voice is still evolving or do you think it's pretty much locked itself in? That's an interesting question. I think for me, and at least in this life, I feel like I'm constantly evolving. I feel like my voice will constantly evolve in the same way every part of my life seems to consistently evolve. And, you know, the things my voice can do now are way greater than what my voice could do even a year and a half ago. One of the things that I feel like is important is that idea that we get a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of things in our culture that talk about it being too late or we're too old or we can't do this yet or, you know, well, it's going to take too much work. And my answer to that is that it's never too late to do something that you love or something that will help you or something that will heal you. And if you have that intention, you always can evolve. Your voice can always evolve. Your voice can always get better. You can always learn to do new things. It's just, we have that capacity within us. It's just about showing up in the same way that we did as a child with our own sense of wonder of learning that our capacities can continue to grow as long as we're here. You're right. And I feel like working on your voice is such a good investment because it can help in so many areas of your life, whether it's speaking in front of a crowd or even just the way you present yourself when you're having a conversation casually with another person. Like you said earlier, it's our number one way of expressing ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's every element of the voice. And that is the work I do is every element of the voice. I mean, there are people I work with that have no real intention of singing in public anywhere. They really just want to work on speaking or expression or changing some other element of their voice and how they show up in the world. So it's all of the above. Exactly what you said. So it's one of my life goals to be one of the most viewed or most inspiring TED Talk speeches. If you were working with somebody to improve their speaking voice, where would you start with that? It depends on the person. And the thing is, is a lot of the the vocal exercises I do with them are actually what help them with their speaking voice. There are some things like the breathing exercises and things that I think pretty much work across the board and that's more formulaic. And then there are little elements of one element with the singing bowl or one element with a specific tone or one element of that will help that person get the breath right. So the, the capacity for the voice and the work that I do really expands beyond just the singing itself. Okay, real talk. Do you have any embarrassing on stage moments? <laughs> yes. And I actually wrote about it in, in my book, but it was uh, before a concert. And this was in high school. And basically, I was at a music festival and I was super nervous. And I was going to play a Brahms Capriccio for this recital. And everybody was in the audience. And my parents were supposed to bring me a different pair of shoes to wear for the concert and 
I my performance anxiety was a little out of control, and so I actually came out in the audience, and I think I sort of yelled at my parents in front of the whole audience to come and give me my shoes. It was a teenage breakdown moment that I look back on, and I'm like, oh, like that really? Oh. People were probably wondering if it was some theatrical part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, that's probably the most extreme thing. And that wasn't even the performance itself. I mean, in terms of any other moments that were for myself, like a memory slip here or there or something that I think most pianists or singers have had in the past. Um, but mostly I think it was, if I had to say anything, it wasn't necessarily embarrassing. It was just that I think as I started doing the sound healing work, I realized how many performances I did where I wasn't in joy, where I was more scared about making a mistake than I was concerned about creating music that will translate into a joyful experience or a positive experience for the people in the audience, which is where I kind of come from now. How does nervous energy affect your voice, whether singing or speaking? one of the ways that it would manifest the most is shaking. And I have had for sure a performance playing piano years ago where my foot would do that, where it was shaking on the pedal. So it's almost like an uncontrollable uh, energy that releases that way. That's hard to get under control when you're in the middle of a performance. When that happens, what do you do or what do you tell other people to do to relieve the shaking or to release that nervous energy? The, the best advice I'd give for anybody that gets nervous is to breathe, to breathe. And I also have grounding exercises that I do, which are sometimes harder in the moment, but it's also practice, you know, for people that the public element doesn't come as easily to, I think it's about getting up in front of people as much and as, as often as possible so that it starts to become a little easier. But breathing is the biggest thing. Deep breaths. Do you have any big failures that set you up for success later on? Maybe at the time you couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it just ended up being a huge blessing? Absolutely. When I was working in orchestra management, I moved briefly, like for eight months, to St. Paul, Minnesota to work at the orchestra there. And I had just gone on a trip and I came home from my vacation and went into my boss's office and got fired. And it was a, something that at the time was covered up is that I was leaving for other reasons. And it was interesting because I came back from that trip wanting to give notice and knowing that I didn't want to be there anymore. I didn't want to be in that job anymore. It was not the right fit. I didn't want to live in Minnesota. I wanted to move back to California. I was like really clear, but I was resistant to actually giving notice myself. But the gift in all of that is that I feel like I was being pushed to start on this other path sooner where I was going to maybe like lollygag around in my job that I wasn't supposed to be in anymore longer. And instead I ended up getting severance and it paid for my move. And it also was a big gift that shifted me back to Los Angeles in, at a time when there were people that needed my help with other projects. And, and I feel like if that hadn't happened, I maybe would have, gotten scared or I would have not made the leap or I would have done something different. And I was very entrenched in my old career at that time. And now I look back on it on is one of the biggest blessings that ever came in my life for sure. And at the time I was like, 
felt like a big, you know, sock in my ego or a big punch in my ego, but I feel very much like it was one of the greatest gifts I ever received. Things always seem to happen that way. Right before I met my husband, Shane, I had just been telling somebody a few months before that I was about the happiest that I had ever been. And then I crashed my car, found out my landlord was selling my place, and the company that I had been working for that paid very well shut down. And everyone kept asking me, oh my gosh, why aren't you freaking out? But I just thought, well, this has happened before and the universe always has its ways. Then since I had to move right around the holidays, I decided to cancel going up north to visit my family for Christmas and instead went to a friend's Christmas party on a whim and met my husband. So I'm a very firm believer that the obstacle is the way. And now you're on your true life's path and you just wrote a book. And writing a book is a huge and daunting task. What was that process like for you? It's interesting. It was it was in my head for a while, actually, before it came to be. And it was about a year and a half ago, I finally knew that it was time, that I had to do it. I had the six-week program in my head. I had the structure in my head, and I, but none of it was on paper yet. And I actually, I went up to Ojai, California, which is one of my favorite rejuvenating places that's close by LA. And I basically just wrote. I took a self-imposed retreat and I went to this one of my favorite places. It's actually at the Krishnamurti Foundation up in Ojai at the Pepper Tree Retreat. And I was there for three nights and I just wrote for like five or six hours every day, whatever came out. I did the whole structure of the program. So it was a little bit of touch and go. The first draft of the book came out really easy and the editing of the book was very challenging and took a lot longer than writing the book. And for me being a first time author too, it's, it, you learn a lot about how to do a book as opposed to shorter things as you go along. And so I ended up really loving the process. And, um, my friend who was my editor is an amazing writer and she did an amazing job helping me get to the, the book into a place that felt very succinct and clear and, in the best shape to really help people, which is my intention with the book. How did finding your voice in writing compare to finding your voice in singing? That's a really good question. Uh, I It's very similar, actually. I think, um, I mean, I always wrote and I used to do a lot more creative writing. I, you know, journaled a lot. i write little blogs here or there, but writing a book is a very different undertaking. And I think in some ways it was also like super cathartic. However, when you're doing a book, the editing of it is very different, right? Because you're, you know, when I'm improvising music, when you go in and edit a recording, it's a different thing because the, the recording already exists as it is. And you can modify, but it's mostly just is what it is. With the book and going in and editing, it's like a much more nuanced process of exact art and how you shape the words and how the words come to play and how the story unfolds. And so it's a very different process in that respect, but I would say similar in process to if I was preparing to sing an opera role. It's an exacting science. You learn the basic structure and the overarching role and what it is. And then you go in and you refine, you refine, you refine. That's the classical music model for sure. So I'd say in that regard, they're very similar. In the last five years, do you have a new belief, behavior or habit that has most improved your life? 
Absolutely. And I think that the, the first thing I would say is a belief that I'm enough, like I'm exactly perfect the way that I am. And I think I had a lot of life experience, my relationship with my mother, with friends, with people that were in my life. I think I reflected in a lot of those relationships the fact that I always felt inadequate or I didn't feel like who I was was okay or that all of my different interests or the things that people perceived as being out there or weird or something that I shouldn't share them with people or I shouldn't be that person that's more unusual. And as soon as I really got to the point, which through all this healing was like, no, actually I kind of like who I am and I'm happy that I have all these other different interests and I'm able to do that. It shifted my focus where I feel like I was very focused on the external world and external validation and looking for relationships, jobs, accomplishments to define who I was rather than knowing who I was and that everything else was just a reflection of knowing who I am as a person. Part of the work I do too is is I feel like anyone that's in the healing transformation world and as a profession, in integrity should have gone through their own transformation because it enables me to be able to hold that space for other people because I know what the process is intimately. You mentioned that there are a few vocal exercises that are universal and helpful across the board. Can you lead us through one of those? The easiest one is really just to start with the OM, which most people have done in yoga class. But the thing about the OM is that it's actually three vowels. It's A, U, and OM. So when you're actually doing it, it would be and then you have the hum at the end so the om is super grounding but it also opens up the energy of the higher self so if you sit in silence and you do the om repeatedly for yourself in any state it brings the whole body and the mind into a very centered meditative peaceful state of being. Great. Thank you so much. We have a lot to work with. And for listeners who want to find more about you, where would you like them to go? Uh, Yeah, I do a lot of public events in the Los Angeles area, but I'm hoping next year to be traveling a bit more elsewhere. And yeah, I have some workshops around my book. I do public sound baths pretty regularly. And my website is Sacral Sounds, S-A-C-R-A-L, Sacral Sounds. And anybody who reaches out to me, I'm happy to talk to them. And I do free 30-minute sessions for anyone that's interested in doing the program. Listeners, if you have not done a sound bath in your lifetime, you need to. It's like a magical experience where sound just resonates through your whole body and you reach, or at least I've reached, deeper meditative states than I've ever been able to before. It's awesome. To find out more about Helene and to access any of the links mentioned in this episode, head to the show notes at mindlove.com slash 010 or mindlove.com slash 010. There, I'll not only be linking to her book, but some awesome YouTube videos that I found for you to start practicing taking control of your own voices at home. 
hope you all liked this episode. As we said before, your voice is your primary form of self-expression. So learning how to use it properly can really unlock a lot of possibilities in your lives. If you love this episode, please hit subscribe and leave a review. Reviews help us get more great guests like Helene. For any questions, feedback, or just to say hello, shoot me an email at melissa at mindlove.com. I read every email, comment, and review, and I absolutely love hearing from you guys. The longer this show goes on, the more emails I'm beginning to get, and it's so exciting. As always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 